Because it's Christmas, I, I thought that we would open up our Bibles today and take a few moments and look at the Christmas story. So I'm going to ask you to open up to Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1. And uh, as we do that today, the reason I want to do this is because I, I think it's important at Christmas where we, we focus in on the presents and we focus in on all the things that, are, that go, goes on, that it's important to remember what happened, what the story's about, maybe to look at a few things that we uh, have never considered before that are there in the story. And then also, I think, as we consider some of those things, it causes us to love Jesus even more. So I, I, I love that aspect of it. So as our story begins, the Christmas story actually begins thousands of years before Jesus was even born. Israel had been waiting for the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of the world. And the reason for that is they, they, they knew and understood that there had been a separation in relationship between God and man. So God said that one day he would come to the earth and that he would take care of that situation. So it would be through the Old Testament prophets, each of them would give a certain detail as to what he would be like when he ultimately arrived. So there on your outline, I've placed uh, the, the very first verse, which comes from Isaiah. And this was written 800 years before Jesus was born. It told us a little bit about who he would be. And it says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. But then it says Mighty, what's that word? God. And then the next one is Everlasting, and then what's that word? Father, and then Prince of Peace. And so throughout the Old Testament, it told us that this one who would come, he would be born. He would be more than a prophet. He would be born as a child, but he would be literally the mighty God and the everlasting Father. Jesus is God. And so since that time, all Christians have believed that Jesus is God. And that becomes a dividing line of everything that's Christian and, and, and uh, everything that's not. So for hundreds of years, and thousands of years, they, they waited but then in Luke's gospel, as the story picks up, we're going to pick it up in Luke chapter 1, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 26. So it's on this particular time, verse 26, it says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from, from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. The virgin's name was Mary. So here Mary is engaged. Mary's probably 14 to 16 years of age at this point. Some suggest a little younger, but, but she wouldn't be any older. She's engaged to, to Joseph, and in that culture, marriages were arranged. So you'd have these two families that liked one another, the kids liked one another, and uh, so they would all come together and say, this is a good thing. Does everybody agree? And they would all agree this is a good thing, so they, they would get engaged. Sometimes little girls could be engaged as, as early as the age of, of five, as the families came together. So as they would grow up, the kids would grow up, in that final year before they would come together as husband and wife, they've been, they've been engaged, but it would be in that final year that, that engagement became a legal issue. So they could get out before that, but in that last year, in that final year, it would take a divorce decree to, to end the relationship. So that's the time period, that's the time when, a, when Gabriel comes to, to visit Mary. Well, in verse 28, it says, And coming to her, he said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. And she was very perplexed by this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. 
And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. Now, I, I love that. His name would be Jesus. You, know, you, you have some names are the same name, but we say them differently in different languages. For instance, when I was growing up, the family that lived next door, they were from Nicaragua. So uh, their son, who was my age, I would call him Robert, but every night when it was time for dinner, his mom would come out and stand on the front steps and she'd yell, Roberto! And uh, so that's how she called him in that language, but we just called him Robert. It's the same name, it's just a different language. So from the Greek, we say Jesus. But if we were saying this from the Hebrew, and I put that there on your outline, Jesus in Hebrew is Yehoshua, and from the Hebrew we say Joshua. Joshua and Jesus are the same name, just different languages uh, being transferred into English. So Jesus uh, or Joshua, both of them have the same meaning. Here it is on your outline. It just means Jehovah the Savior. Does everybody see that? So the angel comes and says, Mary, you're giving birth to Jehovah the Savior. She knows exactly what he's saying. Well, that's why verse 32, it says, he will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. So there it tells us that what's going to take place is going to be by the Holy Spirit. It's not going to be a physical act. When Mary gives birth to Jesus, she will still be a virgin. Now, this was to fulfill a prophecy that was given almost 800 years before Jesus would be born. There on your outline, again, it comes from Isaiah, and it says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. So it would be uh, a child that would be born of a virgin, but he would also be known as Emmanuel, which in the Hebrew there on your outline just means God with us. He would be not just the mighty God, the everlasting Father, he would also be God with us. He would be born as a baby, but he would be God. Mary responds in verse 38, in verse 38 it says, Mary said, Behold the bondslave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So, so far in our story, the angel has appeared to Mary, and because of that, Mary then becomes pregnant. And it's important to note that uh, as she begins to show the rumors around this pregnancy are going to begin to fly. And the reason being is that although the angel has appeared to Mary, the angel has not appeared to anyone else. And what we're going to find is that most people will not believe in the virgin birth story. Well, it's in this time, in that culture, where there was nothing worse, uh, pretty much nothing worse than committing your life to be with somebody as husband and wife, and all of a sudden the girl being pregnant with somebody who's not the child of, of the husband. So Joseph finds out about this, and up to this point the angel has not appeared to him. 
he decides that, that he needs to divorce her, and so he wants to put her away quietly. Matthew tells the story. I've placed it there in your outline. It says, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She didn't meet another guy is the idea. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So at this point, God has sent an angel to tell Mary, and God has sent an angel to tell Joseph. But no angel has been sent to tell anyone else. And again, the the rumors continue to fly. Apparently, this becomes attached to Mary's reputation that she lives with for the rest of her life. It was 30, it will be 30 years later when Jesus is in uh, somewhat of a debate, a discussion with a group of religious leaders, as they are not winning the argument, they know the one thing that they can pull out of their hat to use against Jesus. So 30 years later, Jesus is an adult at this point, there in your outline it says, they said to him, we were not born of fornication, and uh, this really triggers something in Jesus. And so Jesus responds, I've abbreviated it, and Jesus says to them, you are your father the devil. Uh, the idea is if you want to talk about my mama, let's talk about your daddy. And so you, you don't talk about Jesus's mama is the idea. But, but they, they know this rumor has been circulating now for decades. And so Mary's carried that, that reputation. Well, as our story goes, nine months will pass. And if we go to Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, we're going to pick it up in Luke 2 verse 1. It's been nine months since the angels appeared to Mary. And I'm going to read uh, the first couple of verses. It says, now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. And this was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. That is where your ancestors came from. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, and I've underlined Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. So in in the first few verses, there is a census taken. Everyone has to go back to their city of origin. So Joseph has to go to Bethlehem, which is just a mere 90-mile walk in uh, Mary's ninth month of pregnancy. Let me show you a map just to show you what what this looks like. You have in the northern part of Israel this area called Galilee, and you see the town of Nazareth, and that's there in the northern part of Israel. And so to come down to Bethlehem, you have to go literally to the other side of the country, come down by Jerusalem, and then go about four to six miles south of Jerusalem to this tiny little village called Bethlehem. And uh, so ladies, this would be like you're in your ninth month of pregnancy, you're, you're really feeling it at this point, your husband says, hey baby, let's take a trip down to Miami. Uh, but, but here's the thing, you get to walk. And uh, not only do you get to walk, we're going to toss in a few mountains and hills along the way. I I, I sort of get the feeling that although the the story begins by the angel telling Mary that she's favored and blessed, she's probably not feeling all that blessed at at this moment. Would you agree with that? 
Now, why is it that Mary has to get all the way down to Bethlehem? Well, there was a prophecy given where God said when this child is born, he would be born in Bethlehem. I've placed it there on your outline. This is about 500 years before Jesus is born, and it says, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little, and if you want to underline, you are little among the thousands of Judah, little little tiny villages, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old. How old? From everlasting. From everlasting. So we're told there that he had to be born in Bethlehem. And one of the things that we see is that God was willing to rearrange the entire known world to get one young lady to the other side of the country in order to accomplish his purpose. I, I love uh, the word Bethlehem there in your outline. It's pronounced Bethlehem, which means house of bread, which how uh, appropriate because later on Jesus would say, I am the bread of life. So what a great place for him to be born. Notice that also in that little verse it says, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. He would be born as a baby, but he has existed from everlasting. That is, he is, he is God. But then uh, the very first line there, he says, but you Bethlehem, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, what most of us don't realize is that Bethlehem was probably somewhere in the size of three to five acres as a village. Uh, The villages were very small in those days. So in this time, the village might have a hundred people, but more than likely no more than 200 people as the story story goes. It's a very, very tiny little village. Well, then you come to verse 6 and it says, now while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and I always underline and highlight, she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. When I read that, it it causes questions to go off inside of me. So we, we know Bethlehem is a tiny little village. It's about three to five acres. And, and yet, there, there's part of the story that we don't really think about. Joseph has to go back to his city of origin. We all get that, which happens to be Bethlehem. But Joseph was raised in Nazareth. Now here's what this means. Joseph would have brothers, he would have sisters, he would have cousins, he would have a father and he'd have a mother. And uh, the truth is, if Joseph had to go to Bethlehem, then everybody else whose city of origin was Bethlehem would have to go at the same time. But we notice in the story that the rest of the family, although they would have to travel at the same time, have been written out of the story. Many suggest that because the angel appeared to Joseph and the angel appeared to Mary, but did not appear to anyone else. And 30 years later, Mary still deals with that, with that uh, reputation that they suggest that the family did not embrace the virgin birth story. And so although they would all be going, there would be a separation and they would say, Mary, what you've done, you've brought so much shame on this family. We will have nothing to do with you. And uh, even though they would all be going at the same time. 
It says there is no room in the inn. Now that's, that's interesting to me. In those days, this is a, a village, three to five acres out in the middle of nowhere. It's, it's a barn. It's a place where shepherds would come and they wanted to have a good night's sleep. They would bring their sheep in there, but they didn't have uh, inns like we understand them today, and especially not in a tiny little village that's three, three to five acres. This is a culture that emphasizes hospitality in the Middle East uh, far above things that even what we can, can even imagine. Hospitality was everything. And, and you would always take care of a pregnant woman. And, and guys, you, you know, if you've had a wife, and you know that they, they pretty much get you to do anything when they're pregnant. I remember um, our kids, our twins, are now five years old, but when Cheryl was pregnant with the twins, it was on a Saturday night, and on Saturday nights I go to bed very early. I go to bed at 8 o'clock at, at night typically. And uh, Cheryl was like six, seven months pregnant at that time. And uh, so I'm fast asleep. It's 8.30, and I get this elbow on the side of me, and she's saying, hey, are, are you awake? And I'm like, well, I, I am now. And she says, she says, aren't you just dying for some Chinese food? <laughs> and I said, no, no, I'm not, but you got a car out front. You can get up and you can go get you some Chinese food. All right, I didn't say that, okay? I thought it, but I didn't say it. So, you know, I'm out getting the Chinese food because, you know, when they're pregnant, you do what they want you to do. And uh, nothing, you know, it pretty much doesn't change when they're not pregnant. But the idea is that... <laughs> Am I alone in this? So, so but you do. You, you take care. Now, now what, what hits me... In a civilized society, you take care of a pregnant woman. But she has shown up at this inn as, as Joseph comes back to his city of origin and the extended family would be there and the family would be there. But something happens to where they are not going to take care of this pregnant woman. It's as if they are saying, we don't like your kind and you are not welcome to be here with us. So Joseph takes her to the next place, which is either out in a field or it's in the, the, the opening of a cave somewhere. And the other thing that hits me is that in verse 7 it says she gave birth to her firstborn son and she wrapped him in cloths. And that tells us that Mary was alone. Now the reason that's so odd is because in the Middle East if a woman is giving birth, every woman who can help comes to assist. But there was something about Mary that although there was extended family, the, the city of origin, nobody is going to come and help her. It's as if the message to her is, we, we don't like your kind, we don't help your kind, you're alone in this. So she gives birth alone. And uh, you, you, you notice that the family is written out of the story, and so she wraps. And then it says in verse 7, it says she, she gave birth to her firstborn. She wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger. Now a manger is just a feeding trough. It's not a barn or anything. It's just a feeding trough. So as you look at the story, you go, Mary, it's, it's been a tough nine months. Your reputation has definitely been tarnished. The angel didn't appear to everybody. You come to town, nobody wants to help you. Nobody's going to help the pregnant lady. You're going to give birth alone. And so she's probably looking at this thinking, this is not what I thought. Now what I love about God is that although God will not immediately change her situation, he will, but not immediately, 
He knows to send comfort right now in her situation. So we're going to pick it up in verse 8. In verse 8 it says, it says, while they, it says, in the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone all around them and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold I bring you good news of a great joy which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And that very quickly what they needed most was a Savior, and he would be Christ the Lord. The angel says, he's God. He's God. This, this would be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws, lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men, with whom he is well pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and they found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known, to, they made known the statement which had been told them about the child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told to them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. I love that in this story uh, that this has been a difficult time. and God doesn't change Mary's circumstance immediately, but he sends just the right comfort in the circumstance. But I also noticed something. Do you notice that the angels appear to the shepherds out in the field, but they don't appear to the people at the inn who said she can't stay here? They don't appear to the family who's rejected the story, but they appear to the shepherds. So why does God allow himself to be born in this situation? I think as as you and I look on, uh, if Jesus who is God, was born in a palace and raised in a palace, we would look on and say, that's great. You're you're the Savior. You came to save us. But do you have any idea of what it's like to be me, to live in the situation in which I live in? I believe that he allowed himself to be born in this situation so he could answer the question, do you understand what it's like to be me. Oh yes, I I do. I've been there. Do you realize how difficult life can be down here? Absolutely, I understand. And that's why as you read through the Gospels, you'll find that there was a certain group of people who were always attracted to Jesus. They were the tax collectors, the sinners, the prostitutes, those who were the outcasts of society somehow flocked to Jesus, apparently there was something about him that they looked on and said, he understands what it's like to be me. Apparently he understood what it was like to be an outcast. I love Christmas because Christmas, when you think about it, is is a holiday for misfits. It's the day that God came to the earth and he was born as a misfit, not the way that everybody would have expected. And he reached out to misfits, misfits like me. 
and you. <laughs> and he was the one who wanted those that no one else wanted. We began this today. We mentioned that he would be called Emmanuel there in your outline, which means God with us. For, for Jesus, the intent has never changed in 2,000 years. His desire has always been to be God with us. The question is, do we want to be with him? If you're here today and you've never opened up yourself to him, to invite him in, his desire is to be with you. But the question we have to answer is, do we want to be with him? Notice how he says it there in your outline. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. As we close this portion of our service today, I want to give you the opportunity, if you've not invited him in, to give him the best Christmas present you could ever give, and that would be to say, I want to be with you. I want to invite you in. So as we pray, you have that opportunity. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, as we, we uh, continue on in our service, we wanted to just stop for just a second as we reflect on that first Christmas and all that took place and why you allowed yourself and even organized and orchestrated yourself to come into this world in this way. Lord, we see that your desire is to be with us and we see that, that you were God and you came to be on our behalf. And so as your word says that you stand at the door and knock, we turn to you and we say, Jesus, I'm opening the door of my heart. Come on in. As you wanted to be with me, I want to be with you. And the Bible says, Jesus says, that if we open ourselves to him, he comes in and he never leaves. So my prayer for each and every one this Christmas is that we would know that we know that we know that we've invited him into our life. And all God's people said,